the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Richard, I am your co-host, JP, John Paz, and with me is the star of the show, a former WWE World Tag Team Champion, as well as a former eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion. You may know him as the greatest trainer in the history of professional wrestling. He is the doctor of desire himself, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing tremendous today, man. It's been a great day so far, and I don't know about that greatest trainer in uh, history. There's been a few people before me, but I'll take uh, one of the greatest in history. How about that? Yes, we'll take it. Yeah, Anybody cool. that has the resume you have, I mean, it's uh, you got to throw you up there. You at least got to be, uh, be a part of that group. Let's hope so. It's the only thing I got going for me these days. <laughs> well, now... With this show, with the brand new show about Dr. Tom, I feel like so many people know Dr. Tom, but maybe they don't know him as well as they should. So this episode is more of kind of a getting to know Dr. Tom and kind of getting to know more about this show and, and what it's going to be all about. So Dr. Tom, when you got into pro wrestling, how did that happen? Because now you're such a good trainer, you, you do so many different things, but how did you actually get into that? Because everybody has a starting point. Yeah, well, I was uh, I was very very fortunate to be able to start going to the uh, matches on a weekly basis in Houston, Texas, starting in uh, I believe it was 1969 actually when we moved. But uh, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, watching the wrestling uh, on Saturday afternoons. <laughs> Saturday afternoon, excuse me, uh, with the Funk Brothers and uh, Dory Terry and Dory Funk Senior, uh, and I. I was a fan my whole life. So um, the next progression was we moved to Houston, Texas, and uh, uh, kind of fast track it here. We, we started going to the matches every week, every Friday night, and they were, they were weekly back then. Of course, different business, different time, different era. But uh, we got to know people, and I eventually worked my way into knowing and getting to know the promoter there, Paul Bosch. And uh, it just started out, from taking pictures from the time I was 12 years old, talking to Paul Bosch, uh, going down to ringside. Actually, my brother Ken got me a meeting with Paul after school one time. And I, again, 12 years old. Uh, I was I was a correspondent for Wrestling News and Jim Melby and uh, Norm Keitzer magazines back in the 70s and 80s. And um, Paul let me take pictures ringside. I worked my way up into being a second and then a referee and some of the spot shows around uh, 
Houston. I worked in the office during the summers when I was starting 16 years old and up until the time I actually had my uh, first match. So uh, I, I've been around it my whole life. I've met and, and uh, lived with some interesting people throughout this uh, adventure. Man, it's been over, well, hell, over 50 years now, I guess, if you, if you want to look at it. Uh, but definitely 40 years, over 40 years in the ring and coaching and uh, after making my debut. So the thing is, um, I don't think anybody knows if they're able to coach until they do it. And I don't think anybody knows if they're uh, uh, able to be a producer or able to uh, construct a match until you actually do it. And one of my favorite quotes, uh, you know, I heard the other day is, you know, how do you, uh, it's impossible to explain creativity. It's kind of like asking a bird, how do you fly? You just do, you know, there's, there's some things that some people have, some things that you don't. So I think being a coach is a, a lot more than just showing somebody how to do a move or explaining a move, but I think it's the manner in which you explain. And I'm not always, uh, I'm not always the best at communicating what I want, but uh, more times than not, with repetition and drive, uh, I will get the the results we're looking for. It's one of those things you never know. Like you said, you never know if you're going to be a good coach or not. Do you know right away when you're getting into wrestling? Like you know, oh, I can, you know, I, I can, I'm a natural. I can get this. I'm, I'm like very smooth compared to some other guys. Well, you know, here's here's the other thing. I watched my entire life. I this is all I ever wanted to do, all I ever did do, all I ever knew to do. Um and when I broke in, I was almost uh I was almost horrified at how much I really didn't know. Uh because this this is a unique business even to this day, not so much uh in the sense I'm talking about with details because these days anybody can get a ring, anybody can have a YouTube channel, anybody can set up and and run run a promotion in their backyard, whatever you want to do. And it's not it's not like it was um, when the, when there was a lot more there was a lot more improv and artistic value in this business. And what I mean by that is it's great and there's artistic value today. The guys are doing what they're doing because this is this is today and what would fly in nineteen sixty five certainly won't go today unless it's right. done well. Unless you have the emotion and feeling because uh that's that's what's really missing today in my opinion is a lot of feeling, emotion and realism and authenticity. So um, while I knew all that when I got in, I was, wasn't really tuned in to how much that really, um, I don't want to say, I don't know how much that really mattered because it always mattered, but, but it mattered so much more back then because it really was more improv and you knew maybe the start, but you knew the finish and that was it. And you didn't have the luxury of sitting back in the back, talking to your opponent all night long or for whatever it was, you had to go out there and you had to feel the people. You had to feel the uh, the vibe in the room. You had to uh, see which which way they were going and be able to adapt. So, you know, while I knew just in my heart that I knew I could do this and I got it, I got in the ring, man, and there were so many other nuances and so many other things that I had to take into consideration that nobody thinks about. 
And it's all about timing. It's all about presentation. It's about uh, uh, communicating with the audience. And while it's always been that way, um, now so more than ever is it important because you have so many things that are fighting for for people's entertainment dollar or, or their attention. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard these days. But sometimes to answer your question, after, after taking about 15 minutes, uh, some people get it quicker than others, and um, others, uh, you know, come around to it a little, little later and uh, get it right. Now, you mentioned Ken Pritchard. I think everyone probably knows Bruce Pritchard, your younger brother. Is Ken how many years older than you? Uh, Ken is nine years older than me. But he, but he was the guy who I have to, I owe everything to, uh, getting me that first meeting. I mean, he he saw the drive I had. He saw that this was all I was uh, concentrating my efforts in. I mean, I, I certainly didn't care about school. I certainly didn't care about anything else. It was wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. He really made it a point and picked me up, and uh, yeah, it took me. And then once, once you know, Bruce was going with us to the uh, Coliseum. Ken didn't. Ken was again nine years older than me, and he was, he was into music. <laughs> Pardon me, but uh, yeah, Bruce, Bruce and I, along with my mom, uh, went down every Friday night. We started out in the general admission tickets, you know, up high, and and then as we got to know people, and we said, hey, you know, they had permanent reservations back then, which means you could get the same seats every week, uh, you know, reserved. So we, we, my mom told the ladies, you got to know them at the ticket office too. And she said, uh, if there were any ringside seats that came available, we would love to get them because, I mean, the, back then, $7 seats or $5 seats, man, it was uh, uh, pr- pretty affordable on a weekly pri- a weekly basis. And uh, we got to see, I, I, I knew they were good at that time, but I didn't realize, yeah, actually I did realize that we were, we were getting the cream of the crop. We were getting like mainstream superstars. Uh, Back in the 70s, especially like Johnny Valentine, Wahoo McDaniel, Jose Lothario, uh, Mil Moscatus had just been wrestling, I mean, maybe uh, five, six years when he came to Houston. He was a superstar back then. And so I knew, you know, superstar Billy Graham, all all the guys would come in and there was this uh, larger-than-life feel to it. So... Both Bruce and I uh, were enamored and uh, consumed by this lifestyle and by the uh, just just the the aura and the mystery that surrounded it back then. Because back then it was a mystery. Back then it was some people knew, some people thought they knew, some people weren't too sure. They didn't want to try you. They didn't want to bring up the question. Hey, this is all fake. Well, yeah, it is, but it didn't. Come here, try me. All that stuff. So. And we had some pretty bad dudes hanging around there and, and big guys, and, and they laid it in when they hit you and, and, and when they hit each other. Uh, and I was sitting ringside watching it. You know, my later years, I got to be Paul's assistant at ringside. And, uh, you know, it it just it sucked me in because I knew there had to be something to it, but they knew knew something I didn't, and I wanted to know the secret. I wanted to be in there. Just, uh, and when I found out, uh it was what it was i was even more intrigued that how you pull that off night after night it had to be so cool to be on the road and go to a different town every night and uh believe me it was 
very, very cool to how you kind of made your progression. Fan, photographer, second, Paul Watch's assistant, refereeing me, doing all this other stuff. Pretty amazing. And, and you listed that list of talent that was kind of going through Houston wrestling at the time with Paul Bosch. Pretty amazing, right? Looking back, like, wow, you had quite the uh, the, the learning tree to learn under. I I have been so fortunate and lucky in my life to have that in my life and to be able to go. And and, and yeah, I think it was a, an avenue for my mom to just get out of the house and do something. She had some friends down there at the arena. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was very, very cool. Something that really isn't even out there for people to pursue anymore. It, it's, it's such a different business. I mean, there's, I've never met two people who broke in the business the same way, but the, the avenues to do it, um, there's some independent, well, there's a lot of independents out there, obviously, and there's more ways to break in, but not as many quality places to break in, too, if, if, if I can say that. You, you can probably get in, and they'll probably use you as a, a wrestler, and you'll probably hmm. probably go out there and play wrestler for a while, but, but as far as going any farther than that, um, unless you have that incredible drive and that... Uh, the sense about you that you you believe in yourself and you have the confidence in yourself to 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 search out other places, which I've, I've thankfully seen um, in, in in a few guys around here. So, uh, yeah, I, I was I was very fortunate the way I got to come up because uh, it, it was it was a, it was a man it was an era back then that that cannot and will not be repeated. I just have to say that because the style won't. You can't do that style today, but but at the same time, do we have a minute? Oh yeah, <laughs> okay. Because I, I, my last class, we had uh, well the second to last class, the third class. We watched a match between Terry Funk and Harley Race from 1977. I'm actually sitting ringside with Paul. You can see me sitting ringside at the ring with Paul during this match. But we're watching this match to see how these guys told a story in 1977. Yes, that was last century. But they didn't waste any movement. They didn't waste any body language. They, For that time, for that era, nothing stood still even when they were standing still, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. They were still selling emotion. They were still selling body language. That's what they did uh, the other night, Adam Cole and uh, whoever he worked with on NXT. Uh, they man had me from the start they had body language they had timing and that's what it is all about the timing the body language the feeling the emotion um but the kids today don't understand that and that's the foundation of what they're building on even with the flip-flop and flies i'm not against the flip-flop and flies i'm just against putting it in the spots they don't in, in the places they don't belong just put it in the right place where it means something and you're not just doing it for the sake of doing it and you'll get over. I promise. Stone Cold Steve Austin never did one moonsault in his career, but he was the most over guy, whether he was a heel or babyface, didn't matter what he was. He was the most over personality at that time because of how he communicated, because of how he walked, because of how he talked, because of how he presented himself. But that took years of honing. That took years of some experience. That took years of scars and bars and all that stuff on top of him to finally break out into stone cold Steve Austin. He was never stunning Steve, even when he was stunning Steve. He was always stone cold, just waiting to break out. 
if it's authentic, if it's real, and, and you feel it, everybody else will feel it too. And uh, it's got to be believable. Terry Funk and Harley Race were believable, but nobody wants to sit down and watch that and see what they did, and which, which you should. And any person, any student of this game, any, any young trainee should watch Harley Race versus Terry Funk for the NWA World Championship 1977 in Houston, Texas. It's on the Internet. If you really want to watch body language, if you want to really want to see timing, if you want to see how these guys communicated, they're not moving the whole time. No, it's not going to be a whole lot of flip-flopping flies, but it tells a story, and it is a basic, fundamental match. And I have news for everybody within the earshot of my voice. The basics and the fundamentals never go out of style. You still have tackling practice and you're still trying to catch a ball. You're still trying to hit the ball over the fence. It's all the same thing, but you have to learn how to do that first and you have to crawl before you can walk and nobody wants to do that. They all want to go out and do the flip-flop and fly. Perfect. Do it when it's time. Do it when it makes sense. Do it when it, tell me a story. Tell me how that, how that really makes sense. Now, that's my taste, but I promise you, if you have the right personality, you have the right vibe, you have the right uh, feeling, and it is real to you, and you come out, <clears throat> people will get behind it, right, wrong, or indifferent. Let me stop here and ask a question of you guys. Who do you think is the most authentic guy in wrestling today? Professional Brock, wrestling. Brock. Brock. Yes, yep. definitely. I would say Brock. Because he does not do this character stuff. What you see is what you get. Now, he knows how to turn the volume down when he's backstage, but he's still Brock backstage. He does not let anybody see him not be Brock Lesnar, the beast. He doesn't let anybody see it when he's at work. That's the problem. Too many people are too common at work in this business today. They want to be just like everybody else. You can't be. You have to be unique. You you had the game. He was the game. You had the rock. He was and is the rock. Stone Cold Steve Austin is Stone Cold Steve Austin. They are Mick Foley. My goodness, who else could be Mick Foley but Mick Foley, The Undertaker, Kane? All of these personas were all different, but they were all authentic. Even The Undertaker, even Kane, the, the devil's favorite demon, the dead man. You know, look, everybody knows, but you're not telling them. <laughs> Don't smarten everybody up. Just nobody wants to go see a movie and then break the fourth wall unless that's what the movie's about. So, anyway, that uh, that's that's whatever the question was. My philosophy of uh, watching wrestling and, and doing wrestling, and I agree with uh, Showbiz. I agree with Glitz Glamour. But without a solid foundation, you cannot build on anything. Anything you do will crumble in the end. You have nothing to go fa fall back on. You may last for a little while but that's about it. And you'll be in the backyard or maybe in front of 40 people, which isn't a bad thing. That's what you want to do. Now, who was your, like, who would you say was your trainer? Would you say Iron Sheik was a part of that, that group of, uh, My, you know, guys that were trained you? Of course. And, and that, that really happened uh, when I was working in the office during the summertime. What happened was a, a football player wanted to train to be a wrestler and Cosra was in the, uh, Dallas at that time wrestling is Mohammed Farouk. Uh, anyway, the guy came to the came down a couple times. He went to the Coliseum twice. After twice, Cosmo 
Cosmo stretched us the first two times, man, and and he said, nah, he, he knew there was something else to it, and he didn't want to be stretched anymore. He didn't want to pay any dues. He just thought he was a football player. He played pro ball, so this would be easy. Go out and make some money. Uh, and I think I worked out with Cosmo maybe three more times after that, and he figured out the football player wasn't coming, so he wasn't going to come early with Gary to Houston on Friday uh, before the show and have to do this either. But I learned from Cosmo, but I learned from Paul Bosch in the office too. He never really smartened me up, but he, he did that just to see how I would react to things too. I, I firmly believe that because he didn't try to kayfabe me, but he never told me things directly. Um, Nick Kozak also, and a guy named Joe Mercer, he also wrestles as Joe Pizza. I've actually found some cards that Joe Pizza used to be on up north. But they had a record service in Houston. And he, they had a ring set up in this greasy, dusty, dirty place, too. And right next to the ring was like like a six-foot pit. And if you got thrown over the ring, out of the ring, that way you're going down six feet. Well, maybe 12 feet, you know, according to how the ring was. But a guy by the name of King Parsons also was training at that time. He would come from work. He would drive his dump truck from work, get the right out. Yeah, man, the ice man. And uh, he he would train with us. And when he had his first match, he was booked in Dallas, Texas. And Nick and I are going to ride to Dallas with him. Uh, that morning, I'm getting ready. It's, um, gosh, I think it was a Saturday. I might have been. I don't, I don't remember what day it was. I was working in the office. Anyway, um, that the morning we're going, going to uh, ride with King to his first match at the Sportatorium, my girlfriend calls me. And she's crying, and I asked her what was wrong. She said her mother had a heart attack, and they're going to the hospital. So, okay, well, I'm going to Dallas, so I'll see you. And she hung up the phone on me. So, yeah, we're not together anymore, by the way. But uh, <laughs> I would anyway, think so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that, but that's that's what I'm saying is nothing was going to get in my way back then. And going to the, the sportatorium that night with uh, Nick Kozak. And King Parsons, again, Nick was a big star in Texas at one time, too. And I walk in the back for the first time, you know, in, in the sportatorium dressing rooms. And it's this really uh, cool vibe in the back. The boys are all together. But there's two little dressing rooms with with the swinging western doors on them. And then a hallway and, and a really archaic-looking shower with the false ceiling or not even a ceiling over that, whatever it was. But it was just... It was surreal uh, because everybody's together, everybody's going over finishes and going over what they're going to do that night. And that night, uh, I think Bruiser Brody, you know, it was Brody and David were working, and David was going off of uh, the top of the uh, doors and, and the, the top of the, the, the dressing room frame where there wasn't a ceiling and taking dirt off and wiping it on himself so it looked like he and Brody had been fighting in the dressing room because they're going to fight all the way out to the crowd. And, uh, you know, so it was just cool (laughs) being a part of that, uh, knowing I wanted to be a part of that. So, I mean, like I said, those learning experiences aren't around anymore because uh, you don't have guys like the Iron Sheik who, who, I guess you guys, you got guys who will stretch you. But but also they uh, once I got in, I mean everybody's gonna give you a few stiff shots here and there just see if you can take it or see if you can whine about it. 
And I never whined about it at all because I just figured that was part of it. I'd seen that my whole life too. Um, but guys like uh, the Iron Sheik, Nick Kozak, Joe Mercer, um, while I say there, there's guys around who will train you, those guys actually took the time and cared about training you. And, and that's kind of where I got my uh, uh, coaching um not experienced in my coaching ways or manner, I guess. Uh, I also had a great karate instructor named Bill Gray, who I got a lot of uh, uh, tips and mannerisms from too. Is it's just you know you gotta you gotta know who to pat on the back and kick in the ass, and there's not too much distance between the two, so you gotta figure out real quick, you know who's gonna react uh, to somebody you know yelling, screaming who's gonna, who's not going to react to that and and I don't always make the right decision but and they didn't always make the right decision but in the end I think the common denominator was we didn't abuse anybody and we really did care because we need you to learn and want you to learn and that's the way I felt when those guys were were showing me something they might have they might have snatched me and they might have taken me over what felt like uh, a little bit of uh uh you know disgust or or whatever it may be, they were they were just uh, angry because this kid wasn't getting it. Uh, Les Thornton, uh, Les Thornton was an English guy. I had to go 15 minutes with him in Houston, in my hometown, my first match in my hometown of Houston, hmm. and I have to go 15 minute Broadway with this legendary English guy, Les Thornton, and he can't talk. You know, he has an accent. He goes. He's, I had him in a headlock, and she says to me, can you call Wong? I said, what? I said, can you call Wong? Yeah. And he shot me off, and I didn't know what he said. He shot me off, and he stood there. And I hit him, and he looked at me and grabbed me and said, God damn it, and took the headlock and took me over. So when we got back to the dressing room, he said, I asked you if you could call Will. I said, well, I didn't hear you. I'm so sorry. I said, all right. Well, if that happens again, don't. Don't do it unless you know what somebody said. So I mean, they took the time to, to tell you, and I think that's how I would think. I would I would pretty much bet on it. That's what they're doing today in the big companies. Have some veterans there, and, and certainly in the performance center, I know they got some great coaches there. So, um, but yeah, the Iron Sheik would be one of my main coaches, along with Kozak and uh, Joe Mercer. I think it's funny to think about Sheik as a trainer, just you know, just being a wrestling fan for as long as I've been a wrestling fan, basically since the mid-'80s. So when I think of Iron Sheik, I think of hated villain, one of the biggest stars as far as the guys that would go against Hogan. Obviously, Hogan beats him for the WF title. So I just have a different view of Sheik as a fan, thinking like, wow, this guy didn't seem like he'd be a trainer. He seems but, like but, he wouldn't, you know what I mean? He's like such a villain. He would hate he, him. He was, he, was, he was actually on the Iranian Olympic team. Yes, Cosmo Missouri. But see, once again, he and he had ran amateur camps before, and he had gone through Vern Gagne's amateur camp, and uh, so that's I think goes back to saying you don't know if you can coach until you coach. And I think they got him because he was the toughest shooter in the territory at the time to discourage this football player. When I went along, yes, it could be very discouraging because the first what what we did. We, they would show up at the office, and Gary Hart would go over the matches that night with, with Paul Bosch, go over the finishes, whatever. 
the football player showed up, and I always carried workout gear in my car because I, I was going to be ready for the opportunity. I always, I'd heard a long time ago, read it somewhere, that a wrestler always brings his gear. So I was going to be determined if there was ever going to be a shot. I wasn't going to be caught off guard. So when Gary brought the Sheik into the office that Friday, uh, they obviously needed someone to take him to Coliseum. Paul said, why don't you take him, and if you like, you can get in the ring too. And I said, whoa, that's all I needed. I needed Paul's blessing. And we went to the Coliseum, went in the dressing room, changed. Cosmo came out in his amateur shoes and his singlet, not his iron cheek boots and his <laughs> the camel clutch trunks. No, this was going to be different. I thought, oh, shit. Well, so the first thing he shows is how to lock up. And he says, go here and here. So you put your left hand around the neck and you put your right hand on the elbow. And, but you lock up strong like this. And he locks up strong. He locks up and he goes, now you do me, lock up. So I lock up and I slapped him in the ear. And he got hot. And he said, I did not say. And he slapped me right in the ear. I said, okay, I know how this is going to go. So my ear's ringing, and he says, okay, now, I'm gonna, we did some push-ups, we did some squats, everything else, but there's the next thing I remember. He said, all right, get down on all fours. I'm going to turn, or no, I'm going to get on all fours. She tried and turn me over. Okay. So uh, he gets on all fours. I think the football player goes first, can't turn him over. I go next, I can't turn him over. He goes, now you on your knees. So I got on my hands and knees. Next thing I know, he's got me in some kind of hold. I don't know what it is to this day, but he's telling me, scream, scream louder. I said, okay, okay. He said, no, scream louder. And he held it on. He stretched the living hell out of me. Did the same thing to football player. And we did that, like, I think we worked out maybe an hour and a half each time. And the football player said, to hell with this. Because really, I think he thought it was just going to be all fun and games. And that wasn't how they played back then. Uh, so Cosro, he, he, I think if he was really, um, interested at that time and wanted to train people, had a motivation, I think he could be a very good coach. Cause I think once again, you know, who do you pat on the back? Who do you kick in the ass? Some people need one or the other, or sometimes both. You got to, and you got to know when to administer both. And I think he could do that because there were times I would talk to him as well after I broke into the business. And he was such a, uh, always a great guy to me. I mean, but they could have been because I've known him since I was a kid. I don't know. Is it one of those things where a lot of those guys would train you, even Sheik, for example, would train you not really to get into the business, but almost discourage you yes. and see how tough you are? Most definitely. That that was the the M.O. back then. You know, you I'm sure you've heard the story about Hiro Matsuda mm-hmm. uh, breaking Hulk's leg. Just just to see if he, you know, hey, uh, this is what it is. And then Hulk was smart enough to know, no, that ain't what it is. So break me in or I'm going to go somewhere else. So, yeah, that was that was pretty much it. Um, that was the, uh, <laughs> that was the way things were done back then. Now, and again, it was a different time. It was a different era, different place. You certainly couldn't do that today. I mean, you you could, but but the cops would be knocking on your door. Uh, back then, it was pretty much an acceptable way of doing things. You know, you want to get in my business? Uh, here, I'll show you how tough it is. This guy, all he does is uh, referee, or all he does is, 
you know, sweep the floor here at the the office. When in reality, a guy like Gordon Nelson in Texas would would be a referee or work under the mask or something and be be like the office guy and and uh somebody want to come in and wrestle and Dory Funk Senior said, Well if you can get past this guy, I mean all he does is just sweep the floors and get past him. Well now think about it. And Gordon time up in knots. So you had like somebody like that, you know, Bob Roop didn't tamper for Eddie Graham as well. Uh sort of met Sudo. But yeah, it was just a uh it was a different business, and I, I often ask myself if if I was watching today, if that would be what drew, brought me in, because what you saw on TV, you know, in Houston was a dark coliseum with just the ring lights over the over the ring, and it was a two camera shoot, um, and uh, the atmosphere was smoky. You could still smoke in, in public buildings and. Uh, there was there wasn't a whole lot of no lights, just no music. The guys would just walk out of the dressing room, and and you would hear the rumble as they got closer to the ring. Um, you know now there is glitz, glamour, flash, boom, bang, a lot of noise, and that's great. And I, I think it's tremendous, but I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know what would suck me in. You know, the Attitude Era would have because you had guys like old school guys like Austin who grew up on the same stuff and Rock who grew up in the business and Hunter who's really an old school guy and and respects the business a hell of a lot. Um, So you had those guys, and, and that's what I'm saying. Those guys had the feeling. They had the realism because it was real to them at one time. And they know what, their guy, their heroes like Harley Race and and Jack Briscoe made them feel like the same thing when I watched. I mean, I, I know how I felt when I watched uh, Johnny Valentine versus Wahoo McDaniel or Jack Briscoe versus Dory Funk Jr. Um, no matter how it was done, it was done well, and it was done uh, with. I mean, it's. I hate to say this, but but it was like theater in the round. You 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 don't get a second chance. If you mess it up the first time, you messed it up. Um, people see it, and and that's why these guys, uh, everything they did meant something. And they they if they messed up, they made it look like that's the way it was supposed to be. And these days, too much is it, it's almost too pristine, almost too sanitized. And I I I, I love the product. I I respect it, but. It, it, it ain't it ain't what it used to be. Not that it should. I'm just saying what's missing is a lot of feeling and emotion. It is very choreographed. That is yeah. for damn sure. Too choreographed. Yeah, some people would say that. And it's just it's crazy. But I've been watching wrestling since the mid eighties. I mean it's been a been a long time for me and I'm much more into old school wrestling. I've been in the business uh, on the out, outskirts of the business, been working a little bit in, on the inside of the business, occasional manager for the business. And it's funny, everything always comes back to, okay, who looks real, who looks legit, who's, who's getting over with the crowd. And then you're right, it is like the, the Lesners, or even back in the day, the Jack Briscoes, as I go back and watch old tapes and love Dory Funk versus Jack Briscoe matches. I mean, it's just like those guys get it and i feel like a lot of the guys today don't and it's much more okay choreographed you intentionally show the guy you're going to hit him and he ducks 
like two seconds before he should. It's just it's a, it's a lot different um, nowadays than it was, and it's, it's definitely missing something. Yeah. Yeah, and and everybody has their opinion on what it's missing, and everybody has their opinion on uh, uh, how they feel about. Yeah, you know, we all grew up in in our own era, I guess, and we, uh, uh, I guess, we prefer what we we think is uh, what we perceive as better, and what we perceive as being um, entertaining. You know, uh, but I think a big part, huge part is um, appearance, uh, persona, perception, and um, you can't make me believe you're a bad guy if you're not a bad guy, if you don't believe you're a bad guy. You know, Terry Funk was a babyface in Texas, but he never, I don't think he wrestled any different than than anywhere else in the country when he was a heel. He was a little more exaggerated as a heel, but he was always that goofy, crazy uh, Texan. And, uh, you know, he was real. You you weren't sure. And here's the cool thing about Terry. You weren't sure when he was, when, when he was, when he was real or not, but he was always real because he was working from the time he left his house until the time he got back. He was having fun. And he did that in the dressing room. He had fun in the dressing room. I witnessed it myself early on, man, because here's my, here's the guys I watched and idolized growing up, and now I'm in the in the locker room with him. And he's having fun. He's messing with everybody. Not everybody, but he's, he's just, he's Terry Funk. And he knows he's, he knows he is a gimmick. He knows how to be the gimmick. And um, he knows when somebody else is in the room who, needs to see that or feel that and don't let on that he's not crazy, but you can't be that crazy and uh, be where he's been and be in those trusted positions unless he's crazy like a fox, which he is. And that's what's missing, man, are the guys who, you know, you're you're not sure about this guy. Oh, he's a nice guy. Oh, I talked to him. He's nice. Yeah, everybody knows. No, don't let him know. Don't let him get so familiar. Don't uh, keep some mystery about yourself. And that's what a lot of guys don't want to do, don't know how to do. And it's funny you mentioned that because Shane Douglas, that you know, uh, our our good friend Shane Douglas, yes. was saying that Terry Funk uh, literally was in front of everybody, and Shane was sitting directly next to him. He's like blurting out all this crazy stuff, and everyone's walking by like, "Wow, you're you're nuts, uh, Terry!" And Terry's like, "Crazy, I'm crazy, crazy, crazy." And he pulls Shane close. He goes crazy like a fox paying attention wow. da, 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 da. and then he starts yelling and screaming whatever and shane was like oh my god he's like i didn't i, I didn't realize you know it's a gimmick but you know i'm sitting right next to the guy so i think he's nuts and he like pulled me in and kind of let me in for a minute and then he went right back into it right right and, and you can't you can't let anybody in that's the whole thing maybe one of the boys like this shane because he, he He's done business with Shane, but yeah, yep. that's exactly right. Don't let everybody know. Oh, he's just playing. He's just pretending. No, that's what's missing. Now, what's great about what we're going to do on this show is not only talk about the history of Dr. Tom and go into all awesome stories of, of your career and everywhere you wrestled, but also an interesting part is going to be the fact that we're talking about changing wrestling and, and getting good training and almost getting back, not to necessarily where, where it was, but blending in a lot of old school and kind of what you're doing today as far as Jacob Pritchard's Wrestling Academy and the training you're doing. And we definitely want to delve into that and get into that because, you, like we said, top of the show, 
one of the greatest hit trainers in the history of the professional wrestling business. Well, I go back again. Uh, when I say the basics and fundamentals never go out of style, that that means you have to understand. There are some um, definite parameters that you have to uh, know are there when you go to a building, uh, arrive, and what what do you do next? Do you go right to the locker room? Uh, do you shake hands? Do you, do you meet the promoter? Uh, so we, we go over a lot of the, the ins and outs of the business as well. But one of the first things I try to tell or try to explain to everyone is what we do in the ring is really probably, I'm going to be generous here, is maybe 10% of what this business is all about. And you really don't grasp what I'm saying until you start getting booked, until you start uh, really going out there and getting on shows and different shows and dealing with different people and understanding different personalities and understanding that life is a work. And that's okay. Uh, life is politics, and politics is life. <laughs> and by, Anyway, but yeah, that's uh, we, we do go over the basics in 12 weeks, and along the way, there's lessons, there's things that happen that I can't orchestrate. They just happen. I've had an example come out of each class of what I do want, what I don't want, and what you do, what you, what will make you a better bet or a better odds. Let me say, give you better odds of success. Because the number one thing you have to remember is you must have confidence in yourself. And uh, I've seen I've seen great workers, I've seen great technicians, great performers with no confidence. And that's the one thing that kind of um, all through my career I, I watched and I listened and I learned, but, but I, I was missing the confidence factor, and I know why, and I understand what happened. Uh, I can't explain why I am the way I am, but I, I don't even try anymore. I just know what the uh, ingredients are and what the recipe is because I've done it for enough years, and I've been fortunate enough to be around people. And in those meetings, when we're talking about bookings and we're talking about uh, cards, I watched one guy. I won't mention his name, but we were in a meeting in Stanford on the fourth floor going over the SummerSlam show, I believe it was. And this guy brought out his paper and says, you know, Vince, I just don't feel like this has a pay-per-view card to it. It just doesn't have a pay-per-view feel. It's not, not a big big event. He goes, okay, what do you got? He ran down the whole card, changed top to finish, top to bottom. And every match he went over, he had the finish and why. And then he had the finish the other way and why. So he had thought this out, and he wrote it down, and it took him a good 30 minutes to go over this, too. And it was confidence, and it was believing in himself. And I saw that, and then I listened to how other guys argued their points of why they deserved what they deserved. And it was because they, they – men's can be intimidating, and he knows it, and he uses that to his advantage. But he also uses that as a lesson. And it teaches you how to go up against people like that because people like that rule the world. They do. They run the world, man. So if you can uh, learn how to do that, you can rule the world. Jericho is a prime example. Jericho was listening and learning the whole time. What a genius I think. Jericho's 
incredible just for, for the longevity and for the creativity he's brought. So uh, I, I, I think our main thing when you come to JPWA, we're, I'm going to do everything I can to instill confidence in you, not cockiness, but confidence where you believe and you know enough to where you can pull off what you're telling me you can pull off. And uh, don't be afraid to fail because everybody's going to fail. I've not met one person, not one person, who's made a lot of money without without overcoming some hurdles. So that's to be expected, but it's all part of the process. And uh, that's attitude to me is the most important part of thing, most important thing in this business. And it's all how you approach every day. That's interesting. The most important thing you say is attitude, only 10% really in the ring. So mm-hmm. what kind of, what else, you know, what's the other 90% as far as, I know a lot of the stuff you don't want to get too into, but what's kind of like the other percentage? relationships. You build relationships in this business. I built relationships in this business, but my uh, I also <laughs> I had I had what I considered one good friend and uh Brad Armstrong, he passed away. But the relationships in this business, um I I had relationships, but I, but the American Dream with one of my I loved him dearly up until the very very end. Uh, he told me, you just had bad mentors. Well, maybe I did. But without relationships, if they don't want you there, you ain't going to be there. How many times, oh, I look, far be it from me, but I'm going to use an example here. And I'm not picking on anyone because we've all made mistakes. But the dark order in AEW. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> How do you really think they got there, man? Honest to goodness. I mean, friends with young bucks, right? Well, wait, wait, wait. I don't know. I, I guess. But, hmm. but, 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 is that your best? If that's your best, then more, more power to you. But they got a ways to go. Do they or do they not? I they mean, do. I don't, I don't know. Okay, okay, there. Okay, so if the work part meant ninety percent, do you really think they'd be there? Mm, ah, right. Right. So it's if you have to build relationships, you have to people have the the guys in power have to want you to be there. And if they don't want you there, you ain't gonna be there. So you have to build relationships, you have to be able to get along. You don't want to be a cancer in the locker room, you don't want to be somebody hard to deal with, you don't want to be hard somebody somebody hard to work with. At the same time you have to have uh, your confidence and you have to have to know and understand how to manipulate because you're certainly going to be manipulated or or at least they're going to try to manipulate you because uh, that's just the way it is. You can prove me wrong, but I don't think you will. So that's why I say, I I don't usually say 10% of my hand up about two inches and say it's that much in the ring because I don't care how good you are. If nobody wants to book you, you ain't going to be seen. Nobody's going to let you work because they don't want to use you. So if you treat people right and you get along with people and you build relationships, show that you're a trustworthy person. And I know they ain't trustworthy people in this business. I know it can be a dirty, 
I know what it can be. I certainly understand that, and we're trying to steer away from that. I'm trying to steer away from being, I'm, well, no, I'm not trying. I am. I'm not going to be negative about anybody out there because everybody has their way. You have your way. I have my way. But the right way and the only way does not exist. Just because, And this is a great example, too. I uh, had a kid go to another seminar in Dyersburg a couple weeks ago, about three weeks ago, I guess. And the way these these guys were teaching the headlock isn't the way I teach it. And I said, it's okay. When you're here with me, do it this way, please. When you're there with them, do it that way, please. Their way, my way. But the right way, the only way, does not exist. Stone Cold Steve Austin throws his punches the way he throws them. I don't throw him that way, but he does. <laughs> he does a Luthes press. I don't do a Luthes press, but let me tell you, he does a hell of a Luthes press. <sighs> if it works for you, by God, use it. Try a bunch of stuff and keep what works. That's the only way you can really learn this. So, uh, And that's what I try and tell people there, too. I'm going to give you the basics. I'm going to give you a foundation, and then we're going to experiment. Once the 12 weeks are over, we have the advanced class, and that's where we experiment. That's where you get to try stuff. That's where you get your creativity going, and that's when you start thinking, okay, now what do I need to do to get booked? I need to look the part, so that means I have to go to the gym. Well, do I have to have a job, too? Gosh, how do I work that out? Then I've got to train. I've got to do practice. What do I got to do? One of the greatest things I ever heard from Arnold Schwarzenegger said there's 24 hours in a day. Figure it out. Budget your hours. You got to work. You got to do this. Great. But you got to practice. Great. You got to go to the gym. Great. There's 24 hour gyms. Uh, if you're going to get three hours sleep, what's it worth to you? Are you one of those people who say, well, I tried? And when you don't make it, you say, hey, well, at least I tried. Or, or are you going to give it your best shot? And when you don't make it, you say, well, you know, at least I gave it my best shot. Or are you one of those people who say, Whatever it takes. If I gotta get up at three in the morning, train, go to work by six, get off at four thirty, take a shower, come train by six. We're in. We go from six to ten, then go home, shower again, go and get maybe three, four hours of sleep. You know how how much do you want it? It's not easy. I mean, it's simple, but it's not easy. And that's what a lot of people seem to either bypass, don't think about or completely forgot. And I see it <laughs> I see it all the time that people who want to be stars but they don't want to put the, the work in. You know, there's no such thing as an overnight success. People use I've, I've used, heard that term before, but there's no such thing. And we we talk about the ten thousand hour rule, you know, if you want to be an expert at something, you gotta be do something ten thousand hours. Okay, well you also have to have talent. They made that amendment a few years after that. They said, well, wait, what we forgot to tell you, too, is just because you do something for 10,000 hours doesn't make you automatically great at it. You also have to have some talent mixed in there, too. So there's a lot of lot of uh, elements that people and, and a lot of equations that can go either way. Some of the guys you think are going to make it just flop, and the other guys go straight to the moon. But, but it's because of the drive. It's because of the heart and uh, sacrifice dedication, and confidence. What about the intangible of charisma as well? Exactly. That, that's a huge, huge intangible. Why would anybody? That's Okay, let me ask you this. What is it about Daniel Bryan that makes Daniel Bryan so popular? Hmm. Right. Great, 
great wrestler, right? Right. Great wrestler. Okay, so is uh, Shelton Benjamin, I think. Isn't he a great wrestler, too? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. But not okay. as over as you're right. Not as over. Dean O'Brien has that charisma. Yeah. So, I mean, there's an intangible. You had 70,000 people throwing both arms going, yes, yes, yes. But he's only five foot seven, five foot eight, whatever he is. Mm-hmm. And he's about a, bu- about a buck 80. I mean, there's no way he can get over. Duh. It's an intangible. It is that thing that everybody's looking for. You don't know what, what it is, but you see it, you know it, and you feel it, and you get it. And it's one of those those energies that, that um, <laughs> energies, you, you, in the entertainment business or, or in any kind of business in my life, um, I feel some energy when I walk into a room and I, I feel different people's vibes or energy, you know, when, when it's a low or a high or a happy person, sad person, whatever it may be. Daniel just had something. And you can't put your finger on it. But what you can put your finger on is people buying tickets or people paying attention and people um, noticeably and visibly being entertained, visibly visibly enjoying watching his stuff. And he wrestles and he does moves and he does stuff at the right time. He doesn't do anything that's wasted. Everything he does means something. And he's a small guy. Eddie Guerrero was not a big guy, but Eddie had that intangible charisma when you come out. He's just that guy. And what what is the difference between, you know, what makes those guys those guys is they never stop learning. They never stop thinking. They don't turn it off. Now, I'm not saying that's the healthiest thing in the world, but I'm not saying it's the most it's unhealthy either. I mean, if you're that performer and you're that creative mind or you're that uh athlete, um that's your lifeblood is your charisma, your confidence, your dedication, your complete um and utter focus is on you how you how you walk how you talk how you how you were seen uh, coming coming down the hall man and and that's what makes those guys different and um cuz not just anybody can do it you can't just put anybody in that spot you've got to earn that spot Kofi Kingston by osmosis and just organically started gaining and gaining and gaining. And you may not think it on your end, or some people may think it on their end. I don't know. But but the fact is, it was results when you go to the house shows and you get these enormous reactions, kind of like Daniel Bryan was doing in the beginning. And the great thing about this business is you can change on a dime. You may have plans laid out for six months or a year or two years down the road, but you can always change it. If somebody gets hot, I mean, plans change. This is subjective. Uh, it's nothing set in stone, uh, and that's 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 cool and and difficult all at the same time. But it makes it exciting, and and knowing that uh, you can change, <laughs> you can change on a dime, and you can change it right back if it don't work. Very very true. And when you think about you and, and we're kind of talking about what works for JPWA and what you're going to be doing. 
very interesting to go online and you see, okay, Jim Ross goes on and he puts you over big time. But then a little guy named Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, puts you over huge on social media and basically says, everyone should listen to Dr. Tom. He trained me. Uh, look at me. Look where I am. Look what I did. You know, it's one of those things where it's like when somebody of that stature puts you over, Jim Ross, a rock, that kind of shows you might be onto something and you maybe should be a guy that people should listen to and pay attention to. Well, and I appreciate their endorsement 100%. I couldn't ask for anything nicer or, or better than that. And the thing is, I'd like to think when people come, they're going to learn. Uh, but it really all boils down to the person coming. And everybody has their opinion. I'm not everybody's favorite. Trust me, I've just been fortunate to have people say that and say nice things. And I hope it uh, – I, I, I hope that everybody comes in with that mindset that they, they're, they're open and will listen. And what I've had a couple of classes is guys who might have worked someplace else. And they're doing something like an arm drag. Let's just say an arm drag. And I want it done this way because right now this is a safe way to do it. Not everybody's on your page. So I'd like everybody to be on my page. And then it's up to that person to listen to me instead of trying to tell everybody, hey, this is an easy way to do it. Do it this way. And then I see people doing it that way. I say, guys, okay, we're going to stop right here. I want you to do it this way. And I want you to go down on the knee for a reason. I want everybody to get this bump where you go over the guy as opposed to the side. And everybody's going over except you. You're going to the side. So I need you to keep doing it this way. Anyway, that's, that's, it's very nice to hear people say nice things and, and say nice things. Uh, but when, when you come in, uh, you have four hours a night, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then we do two hours on Sunday for promos. And I will I tell everybody from the onset, too, I want this to be fun, but we, we're going to work hard. And uh, in the summertime, we had the, the sweat circle in the ring because we don't have air conditioning. We don't have heat in this place. It's a nice place, um, but everybody was, was was getting it where in a normal practice, they would say, you know, now we could we can – really get into it because you're 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 getting a good sweat and you're getting a good groove going and we do repetition 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 uh so that's where you know if you really want to do this and that the hard work becomes fun um and that's when you know if if you're made for this or not so the same thing with with like uh Dwayne Johnson and and guys like that Natty TJ Kofi Kofi texted me to about the one hour we used to do one hour broadways in Tampa. Uh made everybody go an hour. You know, once they had some stuff under some experience under the belt, but you went an hour. That was your pretty much like your uh um test. And they all thought we'd never do this and Kofi told me the same thing. Natty said the same thing too. So thank you for making us do that hour because we, at the time, we thought, we'll never go an hour. And of course, they got these gauntlet matches, and they went more than an hour and knew they could do it because they had already crossed that bridge at one time. So I, I think, and I've done that with with everybody, I'll mess with you, but I won't mess with you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll play with you, and I'll, I'll try and get a rise. I'll try to get a reaction. 
that's all it is. I tell everybody, look, once we're done, I'm done. Don't don't take it personal. But I've got to do this sometimes to get a reaction. And you're either going to get mad at me, you're going to laugh, or you're going to cry, or whatever. And I've had this past year, I've had uh, had a few people cry on me, and that's okay because that, that once you get done and once you're done with it, and you see, okay, I get it. Now let's just stop, and I can do this. And they've done it each time. So, uh, yeah, I just I think the only way to experience it is to come out and experience it and make your own decision, make your own, have your own opinion. Then hopefully you'll say nice things about us too. Absolutely. Now, as far as wrestlers trained, let me just get a, a little bit of a few of the guys you trained. Obviously, you said The Rock. You mentioned a couple. Let me just throw out there Kurt Angle. Yep. Let me throw. Let me throw out there Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Heard of him. Out, yep. Remember, uh, remember a guy named Shane McMahon. He's my favorite. So I mean, there's uh, of course I, I thought your favorite was going to be Brackets, but you know there's there's some <laughs> other guys out there as well. Yeah. Yeah, you know, poor Brockus only had two vignettes, and I went on the road with him for three weeks. And the first night, he gave me a concussion. But I went on those three weeks, man. I never took concussion time off. Yeah. But Shane was a lot of fun, by the way. He really was. And we're definitely, I mean, I think each guy in, in future episodes we're coming up, we could probably break down each guy and almost do maybe an episode on each guy because I want to know about Shane, not not in this episode, but in a later episode. Yep. I definitely want to know about Vince. I mean, that's so interesting because Shane is very athletic, and I don't know if people notice this or not, but Vince isn't the most athletic, so that's no. interesting. Yeah, not, not really. But I think he'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like with this, not only we're going to talk about JPWA, not only going to talk about guys you train, but we'll go through your career. We'll talk about Dallas big time. We'll talk about Mid South, Houston wrestling, NWA Hollywood, New Japan, All Japan, CWA in Memphis, Pacific Northwest, a little world class, a little continental, a little Smoky Mountain, a little WWF. I mean, we'll kind of try to WCW even when you were there for that, that, that one show. I mean, we'll try to uh, kind of break it down and do a lot of different things and talk about a lot of different moments and, of course, talk about how you were not only the trainer for JPWA, but for FCW, for Deep South, for WWF. I mean, we'll talk about a lot, a lot of different things and a lot of different topics that uh, I feel like you are going to have a great story on pretty much everything. Well, uh, that's part of what you have to do, man. You have to have great stories, even if they're not so great. And I've learned that over the years, too. If they're not so great, you better make them great. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story, though. <laughs> I like yeah, that. But, I, but, I'll, but I'll tell the truth. I'll swear, Your Honor, I'll tell the truth, because truth is really stranger, a little more funnier than fiction. So, yes, yeah. absolutely. And, of course, you know, with this show, we have to also plug that JPWA has a Pro Wrestling Tea Store that is open. So check out ProWrestlingTees.com slash JPWA. Also check out Patreon. A Patreon page has been set up as well for the JPWA that you can support. What you guys do, right? You guys do have kind of weekly videos that you guys put up about we, the training? Well, here's the deal. We, we we should have nightly videos Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. The problem is sometimes that Patreon uh, camera doesn't want to work on my laptop. But we do, uh, when we train, we, we put it up. And we'll let you see the whole four hours. And uh, it, it can be – have you ever been to wrestling school? Have you ever seen wrestling training? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. Right, yep. right. So four hours of that is almost, you know, I'm not going to say it's like paint, but but it is 
it's interesting if you've never seen it, and it's interesting if you're if you're watching and listening to what we're doing. Uh, but it's let's see, four times uh, five. Well, four times four is twelve. No, sixteen. 16. Sorry, never yep. mind. I, I'm not, I'm not a good uh, adder. <laughs> yeah, so sixteen hours is, is is a lot of hours to watch. We we do it Monday. We do it uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. On the Patreon, yes, and and our website is jpwrestlingacademy.com. Twitter is at, gosh, I think jpwa, whatever it is. I think you type in jpwa on Twitter there too. So, yeah, yeah, on yeah. Twitter and and Dr. Tom Pritchard as well on yes, Twitter, that for, is true. Uh, your personal Twitter. Yep, and if you want to. Um, Follow us on Twitter. We are the Two Man Power Trip. You can actually email. A new email has been set up for this show itself. Tom Pritchard Podcast at gmail.com. That is Tom Pritchard Podcast at gmail.com. Keeping it easy in case anybody's got questions, comments, concerns, definitely can do that. On our website, it's tmptempire.com. And I really want to kind of say I think the fans out there should go on Amazon, wherever you get your books, and buy Dr. Tom's book, A Pro Wrestling Curriculum Advice, Suggestions and Stories to Help the Aspiring Pro Get to the Next Level. I think that is going to be something that should be on your reading list for sure. You know I made that uh, title long for for all the possible reasons that uh, make no sense in this business, just as a rib, because I want everybody to go, what is the name of the book again? Yeah, I could have just made it short, but no, 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 that was the mood I was in. So, anyway, but I appreciate it, guys. Very cool. Yeah, that that's great. And do you have any upcoming signings or appearances going on? Actually, uh, yeah, this <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually do. Um, well, Saturday, uh, January 4th. I don't know if this is going to be out yet or not. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Saturday, January 4th, I was, uh, I'm was i going to be in Dixon, Tennessee uh, for Burt Prentice, which is at the Dixon County Fairgrounds, which, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to be doing that. And then our, our class starts on the 6th. And, um, of course, I've got some stuff through the years or through the year. Yeah, throughout the year. Uh, coming up, but nothing, 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 nothing past Dixon until we get to about um, March here. So, no, actually, the seventh, February seventh, uh, Tracy Smothers benefit in Severe or Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, for KFW. But anyway, I'm sure we'll get to that too. Right now, it's Dixon, Tennessee, this Saturday. Definitely, we'll get to that. And got, of course, like you just mentioned, the first class. Well, not really the first class, but the upcoming class, January sixth, coming up very, very quickly. And you, you could see everything on the social media and everything else. But The Rock, I think, said it best. If you want to learn from one of the great trainers, you know, in the history of the business, I think you want to join and get in on that class uh, ASAP. Yeah, very cool. Uh, again, I couldn't appreciate that anymore. And. Uh, uh, I thank all the supporters out there who have done that. Everybody just said a nice word about us because, uh, man, it's better than saying nasty things. Absolutely. And, of course, we will try to bring you this uh, every week, and we will discover who is Dr. Tom as we take you to school with Dr. Tom Pritchard. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.